Welcome to the sermon podcast of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Our mission is to respond to God's love by following Jesus and loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. If you're in Knoxville, we'd love for you to join us in person. In the meantime, enjoy this message from God's Word. Friends, good morning and a warm welcome to Cedar Springs. It is good to be together. My name is James Forsyth, and we are going to open one more time to the book of Hebrews. Before we do that, though, let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we are grateful for your presence with us as we come to your word, and that we're coming to a book that is, that is alive, that has power to bring life to our souls, uh, life to our, our tired hearts. And we pray, Lord, that in these moments, we would be attentive to your voice, that you would be our teacher in this time, and that we would enjoy being a people together under your word. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So we are in the last sermon in our, our study in the book of Hebrews. And whether you're a member, a regular attender, or this is your very first Sunday with us, I hope you showed up ready this morning. I hope you have your caffeine in and are ready to go because we have a grossly overly ambitious agenda for the morning, which is to look at the entire book in one sermon. We're going to try and preach uh, the whole series in one sermon. And then we're going to see something new at the end. Do you remember the last time you were watching a, a movie and it came to a close and the credits rolled and right when you thought it was time to go home, suddenly a new scene appeared, a clip that's called a credit cookie that appears at the very end of, of the movie. Uh, the Marvel series like to do this a lot, Captain America, Iron Man, the Avengers, other movies too, think of Pirates of the Car Caribbean or Harry Potter or uh, what was the other one? Oh yeah, Napoleon Dynamite, a very important movie in the life of our culture. Uh, a final scene that gives you an unexpected twist that helps you reinterpret what you've seen or perhaps leaves you longing for more. That's what we're going to get in the book of Hebrews together this morning. But first, let's remember where we've been. Let's remember what the Lord has had for us this fall. We started way back in chapter one by thinking about dementia, and I introduced you to my grandmother who has dementia. Several years ago, she started to forget the small things, uh, things that she'd just said, people she'd just met, but then has now begun to forget the bigger things, including the husband who loved her for 60 years, right until his death. 60 years of love have faded from her view. She has forgotten who he is and forgotten how much he loved her. And what a powerful picture we said of how Christ must feel when he looks at his bride. When he looks at me, when he looks at you, how quick we are to forget who he is and how much he loves us. We get caught up in the business and the busyness of day-to-day -day life, forget about his love, and end up living kind of small spiritual lives. We exchange the big, exciting life, a life of faith that he has called us to for a, for a small religious facade. And we saw in chapter one that, that, that we would be pleaded to, to not have this kind of spiritual dementia. But called instead to remember Christ, who was introduced to us as the heir of all things, the creator of the world, God himself, the upholder of the universe, the one who made purifications for sins and now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, superior to all things. Don't have spiritual dementia, chapter one said. Instead, remember 
Christ. Moving into chapter two, we were given three pictures of Jesus that we might remember him more. The first picture was of Jesus as the king who has come for us. In our sin, it is like we have been trapped in darkness, like those miners trapped in that cave. And Christ is the king who has come down to set us free. And because he has come down here from up there, there is a chance that we can make it from down here back up there with him. Not only is he the, the king who's come, but he's also the savior who, who frees. The savior who frees us. We are a, a people and a culture who don't like to think about death, who don't really have good vocabulary for uh, conversations around that most ultimate of topics. But we need not fear because Jesus has defeated it. He has conquered it. For the Christian, uh, the sting of death is like being bitten by a, a snake with no fangs. We don't need to fear it anymore. The king, the savior. And then lastly, we said he is the, the brother who likes us. The brother who likes us. That when we think of Jesus, when you think of Jesus, do not think of someone who loves you just because he has to. The loves you in the way that a mother loves her child who's having a tantrum on the floor. Loves you in the way that a teacher loves her pupil, but with a furrowed brow. That is not the love of Christ for his people. Christ delights in his people. He enjoys his people. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. We are part of his family and he loves us and he, he loves to love us. Well, that took us into chapters three and four when we started to think about rest, rest, something that we all need this year of all years. And we asked three questions about rest. First of all, we said, what is it? What is rest? Because typically we tend to define it in, in negative terms. That we rest when we stop, when we put our feet up. But we saw the Bible paints a, a more active or a more positive picture. That according to the Bible, we rest when we find deep satisfaction. Deep satisfaction that all is well. Rest isn't a negative thing like the feeling you get when you stop. Rest is the positive feeling you get, the deep satisfaction when you do something like pressure washing. When you do a job and you think that is good, that is very good, all is well, then you are at rest. Well, if that's rest, we said, why don't we have it? Why don't we have this sense of deep satisfaction? And the quick answer was because we go looking for it in all the wrong places. We go running off thinking that we can find deep satisfaction at the office. And do you know what? It's just not there. Or we go running off in a different direction thinking we can find deep satisfaction in, in relationships. And it just... It just can't be found. We go running off thinking that we can find deep satisfaction in, in money, success, power, influence, all kinds of things, but it, it's not to be found in any of those places. So the third question, how do we get it? By fixing our eyes on Christ. We find deep satisfaction when we fix our eyes on Christ because in the gospel, he looks out upon us and he says, oh, my kids, they're good. They're very good. And in the deep satisfaction Christ takes in us, we find deep satisfaction of our own. That took us into a new section of Hebrews chapters 4, 5, and following, where we spent several weeks thinking together about Jesus as our high priest. 
What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? Well, we said we mean, it means we have one who can represent us before God. That we don't need to fear going into the presence of God because we have one who represents us. And not just one who represents us, but one who really understands us. He sympathizes with our weaknesses because Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and he knows what it's like to suffer. No matter what trial or difficulty or struggle you are going through, you can be sure that you have a God who who understands. And so because of that, we go to our God honestly. As a people, we, we come into his presence and we don't pretend to be something other than what we are. Partly because, of course, he already knows what's going on in us already, but, but also because he, he understands. He doesn't just stand aloof judging from, from afar. We come to him with the mess that is our own hearts, confident that he will get it. Not only do we come honestly, but we also come confidently. Confident that we have a God who is going to give us not judgment, not anger, not frustration, not grief, but mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We have a savior who understands. The next week, Andrew continued these reflections by adding more to our description of Jesus, talking about his, his love, his justice, how he is reliable and immovable, how in Christ we have a sure and steady anchor for our souls. That took us then into chapter 7, uh, continuing your reflections on the high priest by thinking about this strange, weird passage and this unusual, enigmatic, mysterious guy called Melchizedek. And as we studied this unusual passage, we were reminded of an old FedEx envelope in which is found some precious tickets for the U.S. Open. And how something unusual, you know, something unimpressive might actually contain something deeply important. And so it was with the life of Melchizedek, pointing us toward Jesus, the priest we really need. The priest who not only saves us, taking this punishment our sins deserve, but also the priest who prays for us prays for us. Hebrews is unique in its emphasis in all of the scriptures upon the intercession of Jesus, upon the fact that you have a savior who doesn't just know you, doesn't just care about you, but actively prays for you. So that in the midst of any struggle or loneliness or pain or grief, just picture in your mind's eye, you can overhear your savior praying for the next room. And as you picture that, as you imagine that, as you know that that's a theological reality, that he is interceding with the Father on our behalf, we find courage to move forward to take the next steps. Well, after chapter 7, we took half time. Why? Because we had to deal with this crazy thing called the election. And we said that whether your candidate wins or loses, it is your God who rules and reigns. And look at us. We're all still here. We survived. We made it. The sun has, you know, set and risen and, 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 on, and on we go as a people of faith under our God who rules and reigns. Jumping back into Hebrews, we, we got to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, you'll remember, we spoke about the new covenant. The new covenant. So we said, sometimes old things are, are better than new things. 
You want to drink old whiskey, not new whiskey. But sometimes new things really are better than, than the old. Cell phones were the example that, that we used. Well, in the same way, Jesus has brought us into a new and improved relationship with God. A relationship that is not just legal, but also deeply loving. And in this new relationship, we said we have three things. First, a new freedom. Freedom from our sin. You understand, believer in Jesus Christ, that you do not walk around with a black eye because of the failings of your past. That all the sin, shame, regret, guilt in your life has been dealt with fully at the cross. So you walk around as, as a child who's, who's deeply loved. Along with this new freedom then comes, secondly, a new intimacy. That we don't have a long-distance relationship with, with God, but instead have, have drawn near to him. He is our king, yes, but he is also our friend. We are his people. He is our God. And with this intimacy comes third, a new power. That he has put new hearts within us, new spirits within us, so that our lives actually can be different. That just because you've struggled with something for the last 10 years doesn't mean you have to struggle with it in 2021. That the Lord is on the move in our hearts and with the power of his spirit, our lives really can be different for him. Take us to chapter 9, where we took a tour of the tabernacle. You remember the, the super fancy tent that once again pointed us to Jesus. God's presence with us is no longer symbolized in some tent, but has been made real and close to us in the person of his son. Jesus is the one who has tabernacled amongst us, dwelt amongst us, bringing God's presence to us. And because of this, we said we're free to serve the living God. Hebrews took a bit of a turn, looking, having looked at all that Christ has done for us, now starting to call us to live in light of that. Understanding the implications of God's love has, has practical implications for, for our lives. And so we said we should serve the living God. We're not just to kind of sort of meander our way through life. We're being called and equipped to make a difference in this world. Chapter 10 took us deeper into that idea by talking about obedience, how having been loved by God, we are now to live for God. So since we have such a great gospel, let us draw near to God, not settling for a long distance relationship, like we've said, but reflecting on what are those things that make your heart come alive to God. Practice those things in, in our lives. Let us also, secondly, we said, hold fast, not falling into old temptations, not being tempted to compromise or walk with the Lord, but holding fast to that path of life. And then thirdly, let us also stir one another up. We've been given a community whereby we are to provoke one another to love and good deeds. How do we provoke one another? By encouraging one another. We are to be a people who help each other down the path of life. Summary's nearly done. Hang in. Only three more chapters. Chapter 11, Alan spoke to us about a better faith, how we're to run the race of life, throw off all the weight of sin, put on perseverance, fix our eyes on Christ, finish strong as we run this race together. Chapter 12, a, a meaningful one for me, and I'm sure many of us as we thought about suffering together. So we thought about the reality of, of suffering, that as Christians, we can't just turn our eyes away from the dark scenes of life, like a scared child watching Beauty and the Beast, but must expect hard things. 
Not just the reality of suffering, though, also the reason for our suffering. That while suffering in itself is never a good thing, God can use it, can work it for our good. He's like the master pediatrician who takes our suffering and turns it into the medicine that we need. Then lastly, we thought about our response to suffering in light of the fact that God is at work in it. Let's first be be obedient in the midst of difficulty and, and trial. Keep doing the next healthy thing, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. But not just obedience, also trust. We trust the Lord in the midst of suffering because we know how this movie ends. We know we are on our way to that day when there will be no more crying or sorrow nor tears anymore, that Christ will wipe them away and so we can endure these hard seasons till we make it to that day. Chapter 13. Lastly, we got a shotgun of applications that gave us a snapshot of the Christian life. We're to be a people who love our own community, who show hospitality to outsiders, who provide for those in need, who have exceptional marriages and are tremendously generous, who make our heroes proud, who have the humility to follow our leaders as we fix our eyes on Christ together. And we said that the picture of the Christian life that emerges is the picture of the kind of life that we want to lead. Don't think obedience to Christ means doing a bunch of things that you don't really want to do. Obedience to Christ means leading the kind of life that we were really designed to live. That was the last chapter. That's the end of the movie. The credits begin to roll, and then up pops one more scene. The author doesn't want us to leave this movie without giving us one more word. You see it? Verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 13. He doesn't want us to leave without a benediction. A benediction, which is a a blessing. It's not a prayer. It's a blessing that's given to God's people. Let me read it to you. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We've been on this wild, rollicking tour through the book of Hebrews, and we've, we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of rich theological ground, and then a lot of practical, helpful application. And now, as the credits roll, the author pops back up and says, but I've got one more thing. I have a good word for you. I have a word of of blessing for you. He starts by praying to the the God of of peace. Isn't this a great description of God? He he is the God of, that the peace of, of God comes from the God of peace. That he is the source of all peace. That wholeness, completeness, Shalom is found in him. That peace isn't a gift he can give us apart from himself, but rather a gift he gives us in himself. That if you want to experience peace, you have to experience this God. But not only is he the God of peace, look how he's also the God of power. The God of power, the one who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. Powerful even over 
death itself. The Acts would tell us that, that, that he freed Christ from the pangs of death because death was not able to, to hold him. We never forget, and can we, can we remind ourselves right now that Jesus is alive? We aren't here to worship a dead figure from history. We're here to meet with the Christ who is, who is alive today, who himself has, has power over, over death. And this God of peace, this God of, of power now, now gives us new purpose. You see it there? That we would be equipped. Look at verse 21. Equipped with everything good that we may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus. That the God who has done great things for us in the past and now meets with us in the present has things planned for our future. That we might be equipped to do his will. And the will of God isn't something like, you know, what's God's will for your life? Don't think of it as some vague, esoteric, like mysterious thing. God's will is very practical and is made clear to us in every page of the Bible and was made very clear to us in chapter 13 last week. It's a life where more and more we become like Jesus. A life where our lives start to be different because we're really starting to follow him. Loved by him, we start to love like him. How does this, how does this sound? Does this sound, does it sound unrealistic that your life's really going to be different next year? Um, does it sound, I don't know, does the, does the ideal of the Christian life just sometimes seem very far away? It does for me, which is why it's encouraging that we're told that God is the one who's going to equip us for it. Now, this term equip, it doesn't mean that God is going to like sharpen us or kind of like beat us into shape. It's a, it's a much more beautiful picture than that. The term, term equip literally means to restore or to mend. This term that's used in Hebrews 13, 21 is the same term that's used in Matthew 4, 21 when James and John are found mending their fishing nets. It's the idea of restoring something that's broken. So we could say, the verse, the verse reads, may, may this God of peace and this God of power restore you, mend you, in order that you might do his will. In my office, uh, I have a pot that looks a little bit like this. Uh, ever seen a pot like this before? It's called uh, a kintsugi pot. It's a Japanese word that I'm confident I just butchered. And uh, it's an art form whereby uh, carefully take the pieces of a pot that has been accidentally broken, reassemble them, and then glue them back together with this gold-inflected glue. And what I love about it is, is, look, no attempt is made to try and hide the broken pieces. No attempt is made to hide the fault lines. Why? Because the cracks are what make it beautiful. And not only more beautiful, but fascinatingly, also strong. You know, if you drop this pot again, it will break, but not in those places. 
What's been joined together is stronger than it was before. And the good news of the gospel is when God comes to equip us to do his will, it's a work of restoration. It is a work of mending. In my life and yours, he's taken the broken pieces and he's putting us back together. That's what it means to be equipped by God. He's taken the broken pieces and he's putting us back together. Do you feel the broken pieces in your life? Do you struggle with loneliness or feeling like you don't fit in? Are you wrestling with grief over a child who seems wayward or really, really struggling? Are you wrestling with disgust over mistakes you've made in, in, in your past, maybe in your, maybe in your recent past? Are you fearful about what the future holds or for some diagnosis in in your health? Are you feeling the broken places in your life? I feel the broken places in my life and sometimes the Christian ideal feels really far away. And into that place, God speaks a, a gospel word that everyone who is filled with shame, guilt, regret... To anyone who feels tired, broken, beaten up, he is coming to equip, which doesn't mean he's going to beat us into shape. It means he's taken the broken pieces and he's putting us back together so that we'll actually be more beautiful than we were before. And isn't that true? We, we all believe that the, the people we admire most, the people we respect most, the people who, we've, who we find beautiful are often those who've been through the most. To be human means the cracks are beautiful. And not just beautiful, but also also strong. Because God has put us back together. We're given a resilience for life that enables us to carry on. The beautiful truth of scripture is that when we're called to actually live a different life now, when we're called to actually be like Jesus now, it's not a call to go and do something. It's a call to let something be done to us that Jesus would put us back together and make us more beautiful and make us more strong. And so this God of peace and this God of power who's given us purpose is the God to whom we now give our praise. See how the verse ends? To Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for how long? Well, forever and ever. Don't you love that? Like forever, that's not enough. (laughs) We we need longer than forever, so let's do forever and ever. And then, amen. Amen. Let it be because of all that he has done for us on our behalf. So this is the movie. But this movie of our lives isn't done yet. The credits are, are still to roll. And so together, we fix our eyes on this Jesus And we walk with him as our lives unfold. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this book of Hebrews and for the time we've been able to spend in it together. Speaking of an amazing savior who enables us to live new and amazing lives. Uh, When we think of your son, would we remember that Jesus is better? To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.